0: You are listening to Changing the Game, with me, Wilson Casado. What is the game? The game is everything. Everything from the education you receive to the career or business you pursue. In regards to diversity and inclusion, though, there isn't a level playing field. The show will allow us to hear from those who are challenging the status quo. It is about creating a new future where things are done differently, a future with diversity and inclusion, and most importantly, a future where everyone has access to play the game. Oh, hello, everyone. Welcome to one more episode of Changing the Game. Today, I have the pleasure to have another guest, a very special one. Lisa Shreve. Lisa, is that how I say your name?
1: Yep, that's correct, Wilson. Lisa.
0: Yeah, thank, thank you for being part of the show, Lisa. So, everyone, Lisa Shreve has been lucky enough to work all around the world and now call Bustleton home. So, for me, it's very, it's particularly exciting because, you know, being a, a multiple half-Ironman finisher, so I, I love the city. So, as CEO of the Bustleton Jetty, Lisa is proud to work with a community of passionate local who saved the Basaton jetty after Cyclone Albi and continue to volunteer their time to the town's heritage icon, the Basaton jetty itself. The non for profit organization that runs the business on the jetty contributes 25% of its ticket sales to its sustainability. In today's competitive world, especially through COVID, Basaton jetty has to keep reinventing itself to continue to attract tourists. Lisa started at the JET in January 2015, and with the Board of Management, BGI has an ambitious plan to grow and develop tourism to attract over 1 million visitors per year. Lisa has a Bachelor of Business, Master in Regional Development, has worked in the non-for-profit sector, the public sector and private sector for the past 29 years. PGI mission is to ensure the jetty is here for future generations and it is Lisa's goal to ensure her grandchildren get to enjoy it and pass this legacy on. Lisa has been our Olympic torch better on two occasions, represented Australia in the United States in Nations uh captain of the state netball team and won many awards in her career including being a Telstra small business finalist and a young Australian of the year finalist she's loving her job at the Boston jetty recently our WA's major tourist attraction in 2018 2019 and in 2019 the sir David Brain Medal for Tourism, and he's enjoying getting out and about to meet people, getting out and, out and about and meet people to talk about the huge opportunities for the jetty. That's a nice bio, Lisa.
1: It, it, you did well, Wilson, it goes for a long time. <laughs> <Ooh>. <laughs> uh,
0: Lisa, uh, we heard your bio, Uh, But what about if we start this conversation with you, letting us know more about Lisa, you know, about yourself?
1: Um, I probably did things a little bit opposite to everyone else. And I grew up in a city in Perth and um, ended up moving to the country at uh, 19, 20 years of age um, and spent most of my life um, working life in the country, um, learning so much from so many different people um, whereas most people sort of grow up in the country, and move to the bright lights of the city, and end up staying there. So um, I've been lucky enough to have a great career um, in the Wheatbelt of Western Australia and now in the Southwest of Western Australia. And when you see the beautiful photo of the jetty behind me and Geograph Bay, um, really living in Bustleton is a bit of a dream come true. And uh, it's like being on holiday all the time because we think we have the best town in the world.
0: Yeah, no, so I, I'm sure. Uh... Lots of people will agree with you. So I, I mentioned I mentioned to you before, so this year I have done, you know, the Ironman and half Iron Man races for a while. And this year was the 20th anniversary of the race. And I heard uh, one of the people that had been uh, doing the whole 20 years journey there and how he appreciates Baselton as a whole city because, they, they, you know, there was few years before the event went to Baselton where they struggle with councils and groups and you know all these promises and never happen, and etc and when he talks about Baselton you can see his you know his eyes shining in terms of how uh, you know the city welcomes uh, the events and the tourists and etc so how is it like to work with tourism in Baselton
1: Um, Well, pre-COVID, it it was wonderful. Um, We are really lucky that we have a number of people that live in Bustleton that are prepared to volunteer. So we have 88 jetty host volunteers that help people on and off the train. But as you mentioned, the Ironman, the jetty swim, they're all run by volunteers as well. Um, When cruise ships were coming into the jetty, the information centre here would have a number of volunteers that would go out and help and welcome people. And I think that in general, um, you know, Busselton and the Southwest, um, everyone that lives here, we're ambassadors for tourism because we know how much the region survives on it. And I think it's been no more so important than during COVID, where we've seen the decline in tourism from the international visitors not being able to come. Um, yeah. We would normally have 44% international visitation, and Singapore, Malaysia, China, the UK are really big yeah. money spenders at the jetty. And of course, they're not here. Um, We haven't had very many Eastern States people here because of the constant border changes and lockdowns. So, you know, the tourism industry is doing quite well um, in some sectors. Um, The hotels, the restaurants, the breweries, the wineries, WA people are still going out and enjoying themselves. Um, But unfortunately, the tools and attractions throughout Western Australia are are struggling. Um, And I suppose I equate it to if I, I was going to Paris, I was going to Machu Picchu or the US, and I didn't really know the sites and I didn't know the, the map very well and, and how to get places and you know foreign currency and people speak different languages. I would prefer to do a tour with someone who I could just sit back and relax and let them tell me the story and pay my money to be taken to the right places at the right times and not have to worry so much. But in WA, WA people know WA. Um, you know They can jump onto Google and do the Cape to Cape track and, and follow the Google instructions and listen to the history in Siri. So, um, yeah, it's been really unusual for tours and attractions pretty much around Australia as well, because you look at some of the theme parks, even um, the mazes, the, the lighthouse, the caves, all those sort of things around Australia. Um, locals just don't want to spend money on tours and attractions as much as they do going out and having fun, um, because they already have been there maybe or they already know their area or region well enough.
0: Mm. So, uh it's interesting because uh, we 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 are yes the COVID completely changed the world for uh, particularly for the tourism industry, isn't it? So we 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 here and 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 forget about my you know as I'm, I'm I'm very I'm I'm not completely aware familiar with the tourism industry itself. So what we I'm actually guilty of what you're saying right? So because I travel a lot overseas and. I actually feel like you know the COVID is holding back in terms of our, our holidays and etc. So apart from Boston itself, because when we are in the state, that's where we go as a family. So the whole now South area. So, but uh, I think I think what I'm curious about is we talk about the fact that now that WA uh, residents are not being able to travel overseas or not being able to travel. To the east coast or to other states uh we seem to be traveling a lot in the state and there are places and uh, not Boston particularly the places that before you know uh, you could go at any time now you cannot go anymore because you're not able to book anything for ages and it's overpriced and etc is isn't bustle receiving a, a bit of that piece of the pie or having more WA tourists and, and enough to to give the town some, some, some time through COVID?
1: Yeah, definitely, Wilson. It's a two-speed economy. Like I said, the hotels, um, they're doing really well and some of them have been charging their summer rates in winter because they do know that they are going to fill up um, because people can only travel basically within the state. Um, It's a little bit different for the CBD hotels, for example, in Perth. um, They're not receiving a lot of business because there's not a lot of people from regions going to stay there, but there are a lot of people in Perth and in um, CBDs around Australia that are travelling to the region. So on the whole, accommodation, um, restaurants in the regions are doing really well. Um, It's just there's certain markets that aren't doing as well. Um, As far as I know, Kununurra still was having a difficult time um, and the tour and attractions industry um, I'm on a, a couple of groups with people that are in the Merlin um, SeaWorld type entertainment area and um, people that run sort of canoeing tours or people that have tour guides that do walking tours, like there are walking tours in Perth. Um, and they're not doing as well um, because normally they would rely on international and interstate visitors to pop them up. A lot of our Indigenous tour groups um, aren't doing as well, for example, because a lot of international interstate people would love to do those tours mm. and, and mm. they're like, so um, it, is, it is just really different horses for courses and different situations. Um, so we're about two and a half million dollars down since COVID started in March 2020, compared to where we would be if COVID wasn't here. Um, 40% of our staff have resigned or had to be stood down or um, have gone and got other jobs because there just isn't that security, um, especially the casuals in getting work because Monday to Fridays, um, they're pretty much it's, it's dead on the jetty except for school holidays. Um, weekends have been quite good um, with family markets and we're seeing that in the Caves, the Lighthouse, all those sort of family type um, businesses down here, but Monday to Fridays are pretty quiet.
0: Yeah, and no, I, I, yeah, uh, interesting. So, Lisa, uh, you did mention that through your journey with the, the Jetty and, and even now through COVID as well, so that there has been a, a need for innovating, I need to, uh, to, to be creative and offer d- different uh, products and services. So uh, wh- what are the things that you've been working on in that sense?
1: Yeah, uh, really good question, Wilson. On March the 24th, we had to close for 55 days last year when everyone went into pretty much that big lockdown in Western Australia and around the world. Um, We started to see the impact of COVID probably in February. We were getting a lot less international visitors and obviously we'd all heard about COVID sort of in February, but it really hit hard on that day when the pandemic was declared, I think March the 11th or something. And then two weeks later, we all went into lockdown. Mm. Um, So we had um, staff come in. There was 54 staff at the time and we had the local Centrelink office come in because at that stage, no one knew about JobKeeper. Um, we had our local bank come down and talk to staff about, you know, what they could do to help with their mortgage repayments, et cetera. Um, and then we sat down as a group and said, okay, what, what can we do? If everyone is going to be stuck inside the houses for 55 days, how do we pivot that new word that came yeah. out then um, yeah. and offer something new? So our staff, um, some of them have been here 15 years. Um, they're really resilient. They're really creative and they love the GD. They, they're here because they want to see the GD here for their grandchildren as well, as you said at the start. So we sat down and did a bit of a strategy matrix and we looked at what will people do. They were at home homeschooling. Um, They were having to do all their exercise at home. Um, They were doing different things than they would normally do. So we said, well, how can we meet a need for them? So in about two weeks, we created 14 virtual tours. Uh, We had marine education workshops by our marine science team um, so that people doing homeschooling could sit their kids in front of the a webinar and be able to understand about marine life here at the jetty and we had um, different worksheets linked to the acara curric- curriculum so schools could access those as well uh, we did personal training on the jetty which was really good fun because a number of our staff have got second careers as personal trainers or yoga teachers or they do dancing or anything like that so Uh, We had dancing on the jetty and we had um, what can I use at home to create weights? So we had milk bottles full of water and um, one of our staff did a half hour session to show how you could do weights using things at home. Um, We did running on the jetty. We set up a Spotify account. So if you wanted to run on the spot, you could pretend you're running on the jetty and listen to jetty music. Um, We just tried to be as creative as we could. We filmed our tours. So we had an underwater observatory tour for the full half hour at the daytime and one at the nighttime. That's um, cool. And we also did a history tour on the train where one of our train drivers sat on the train while the train drove out and talked about the history of the jetty. And, and that actually was the most popular of our virtual online-free tours. So we had about fifty thousand views from around the world. Um, the wow. US was actually the number one um, country for views, which I found really interesting. And um, we ended up setting up a couple of live tours for different time zones. So we would send two staff into the underwater observatory and they would film the tour and do a question and answer session at the end, which we would do through Zoom. Um, so at the same time, we had, you know, 40 staff on JobKeeper when that eventually did come out early April, um, but we didn't have a lot of work for them. So we said to the staff, um, what can we do that we're going to be proud of when we look back at this? Yep. Um, so our staff, because of our 88 host being mostly retired, um, they helped deliver medicine and groceries to them because they weren't leaving their house. And we went and planted some trees with the local Mudlow um, restoration group. Um, some of our um, elderly in the community couldn't walk their dogs. So there's this group called Poop, um, parents of all the pets. So some of our staff went walking dogs. Uh, we mowed some lawns. Um, just, um, we did some Zoom um, care calls into Baptist care, the aged care homes around WA. We wow. just tried to be helpful and useful so that um, we were meeting you know, the pain points, I suppose, that people were experiencing by having to be at home for
0: nearly two months. Wow, that's fantastic. So that's indeed very innovative. So, you know, it's not even in, not even innovating the products and services of the jetty itself and looking out of the community and, and, and see what else can be done. That's, a, that's quite a nice case
1: yeah I think it was about our mental health as well if we had a sat home and done nothing for two months um, we would have got a bit stir crazy so you know when the government said hey we're prepared to put some money into people the staff were saying well what can we do to help um, we just don't want to sit home and take that money and do nothing and that's the great team that we have here they always sort of pull out and do above and beyond
0: that's very interesting uh is a one thing that I always I have been in WA for only 13 years, right? So I'm still learning about this state and the city. So, Lucky uh, yeah, uh, that's right. And, and look, although it's not a lot considered my, my, my age, but, uh, but it's enough to, to, to be in love with this place, right? So, one thing that I do notice is that, uh, Regional development is, is quite an opportunity for a state, right? So my international experience is, is from much more populated areas, you know, populated uh, even regional areas, much more populated. So uh, and I and I and I know you're passionate about uh, you know the regional development. So that's a, you know linked to the job you're doing day to day. So what would you like to see more of? for, you know, to to change that sort of uh, only Perth being, uh, you know, a hub of people?
1: I think that, for my example, um, a lot of people do think that they can only have a career in the city, and I think that that's untrue, and especially now with the internet and you know the knowledge economy being able to move out of the city areas, um, it would be great if a number of our government departments could decentralise as well, and then that might help with um, some of that career aspirations too. But um, in general, I, I feel like, and I'm 49 now, nearly 50, um, and I feel like over the last sort of 10, 15 years, that just seems to be either getting better or it doesn't seem to be so much a stumbling block. And that probably is because of things like the NBN and the, the data speed where um, people have actually started to realise, and I think due to COVID, this is going to happen even more. And it is happening where you see a lot of houses being bought in regional areas around Australia, whereas previously people would only live in the city. Um, And with COVID, they realise they can work from home in a regional area and have a better life and a better future for their family and they're safe and we have beautiful oceans. And, you know, there's so many benefits to living in regional Australia that you don't necessarily need to work in a big office building and battle peak hour traffic every day to go to work. So I I find that maybe COVID is going to push that even faster than what it was, that tree change, sea change that was happening over the last 15 years. Um, This is where people are gonna look back and say, okay, what did COVID mean and what did it do to me? It it made me realise what was important in life and my health and family really are number one, and I need to put more time and effort into that rather than this, you know, mice mouse on the treadmill, um, just doing what we do every day because that's what we do. Um, Yeah, so I, I think regional Australia's got a huge future, and it's just going to require the infrastructure and the services to be able to keep up. Um, so that people can disperse, which is better for you know the environment as well to not have so much
0: pressure on the cities. That's that's right. So uh, I think you I think you point out two things that are quite important. So uh, and I agree with you. So one thing is that you know the mobility of the workforce, and, and you're spot on. So I, I do work in that sort of uh, science and technology field, and these days it doesn't really make any difference where we're working. So you know I was from. You know, apart from different time, you have to have that sort of face, face time with the client, which today we do like we're doing today. We do it like Zoom, right? Okay.
1: Yeah, but we never heard about Zoom before COVID. We exactly. heard about it. You know, the old days we used to have this teleconferencing by video, and you had this giant machine that was in your boardroom and no one would ever touch it because it would break. And now That's Zoom fine. is so quick and easy. And I remember growing up watching the Jetsons and thinking, oh, we're going to have little cars that fly around in the sky by 2021, surely. And, you know, we've got Zoom and, and all this sort of stuff. You sort of, I always thought when I was growing up, I would become a mother and I could go home and press a button and dinner would just appear. So that bit hasn't happened yet, but I'm hoping that the little cars and the press the button for dinner to appear will eventually happen.
0: So uh, what, I can, uh, what I can confess to you is I'm, I'm, I'm part of the Perth Angels, angel investing group here in Perth. And, uh, and we're very proud because we have a sister organization, like I said, it's Southwest Angels. It's a yep. Southwest group of angel investors as well. So we're always you know, talking with each other. And one of the things that we talk with some of the Buff members, Angels members in secrecy is whether we, you know, we left Buff Angels and we joined Southwest Angels oh. and we keep doing what we're doing down south which yeah. would be quite nice.
1: <laughs> yeah, You could be Southwest Perth Angels, just join the groups together. So we've, we've actually pitched to the Southwest Angels, our new underwater observatory at the end of the GD and our new food and beverage village. So I know the group you're speaking about and they are very progressive. So maybe the Jetsons push a button dinner will happen.
0: That's nice. So, uh, Lisa, you mentioned that you start at the Busselton Jet in 2015, right? So you, 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 were, you were at... Before that,
1: um, yes, I was working for the Regional Development Australia Southwest Group, which did federal funding for the Southwest for about um, six years before that. Yeah,
0: mm. you did mention that you know your your career took that journey of uh, going regional as opposed to staying the city. So if you if you go back to that time where you 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 moved to the country, uh what, what was the trigger what are you, you know what, what made you made the choice?
1: Um, I actually left Perth to go to Meriden which is halfway to Kalgoorlie for a journalist job because at the time I thought I was going to um, be on television and be a TV news reporter that was my goal at the time. And, um, yeah, I spent 14 years in Meriden and um, met a farmer and, and married a farmer and then convinced him 14 years later to leave and come down south because I missed the beach too much. And um, I had a four-year-old at the time and a six-month-old, so um, we just wanted to be able to give them the opportunities, I suppose, of, of living in a town that was near the beach and having those beautiful memories to grow up with.
0: So uh, doing that or, you know, as a... a- deciding to spend the rest of the life in the country and and eventually uh, invest in the career that, you know, career options that you would have other than, than, than in the city. It's quite a, it's quite un, 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 untraditional. It's quite, it's not the, it's the opposite direction, I guess, that sometimes we we give advice to to the kids that are, you know, thinking about what they're going to do later on. So if you, if you are uh to you know give some advice to to, to young people, uh, young boys, young girls or or or, or young adults, uh, what would you how would you pitch the, the, the regime for the
1: yeah, I think um, the world's changed in that I ended up working for an international company called Veolia uh, when I was in Busselton as well um, and they're based in France um, and I was able to do a job where I was travelling to mine sites around Australia and ended up going to Tokyo in a bid for the Darwin itchless um, contract that I um, is, is now the Howard Springs facility that everyone talks about when they talk about quarantine. So there's just so many international businesses now that are either buying farms or um, buying up you know, businesses around here and bringing that um, international corporate sort of um, experience to the regions that you can pretty much work in a world-class business in any country town in Australia. So I think it's just looking for those opportunities where you can jump in at the ground level and be able to work your way up. Um, I remember, and I tell my children this, my first job was $222 gross a week, and I had a car to pay and rent to pay, Um, and you just have to work hard, and and you just have to be prepared to start at the bottom and learn as much as you can, be a big sponge, um, and work out how you can work your way up, but at the same time, I had a really interesting conversation with someone last week who's been off of the world, and she said, I'm just not sure if this is going to make me happy, Um, Know so you you want to make sure that what you're doing, you wake up every day and go, Yay, I'm going to work, rather than you wake up and go, Oh crap, I've got to go to work. Um, so yeah, it's just about finding that balance between doing something that you love or you're happy doing um, and doing something where you feel you're being challenged and you know, you're you're being inspired and able to be the real person that you are. I'm very competitive um, and I think I'm pretty creative. I'm always coming up with new ideas. Um, The jet is perfect for me because I'm able to do that with a great bunch of people around me. Um, And I'm able to, I suppose, pitch things to, you know, our board um, and our community and our members and say, you know, do you think we can do this? And, and, you know, nine times out of ten, they say, let's have a go. I think you have that positive can-do attitude in regional, um, Western Australia in particular, because it's not the WA wait a while. It's um, WA, you know, we can do this.
0: Yeah, yeah. So that's a that's a pretty good point. So uh, I had a I had the privilege uh, a couple of years ago to be part of a program called Leadership WA. So and and part of the part of the uh, you know the, the experiences that we have through through the program. So regional trip is, is 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 a key is a key element there. So we went north to places like Arata. So we also went south to places like Kali and 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 the Southwest, and and you're quite right. So I, I even I was very surprised to see the number of uh, we visit some international companies that that you know that operates in these regions, and and uh, we from the city sometimes we're quite blind about what's going on there. So you, you're right. There are quite a bit of opportunities. It's a matter of finding that balance for. For you, you 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 mentioned before that you you want to be a TV star, journalist. So, was that your uh, when you were young making decisions about career? So, is that what your objective was? So you you how uh, when did you find out that you want to be a journalist?
1: Um. Oh, I always liked writing when I was at school um, and then I think I liked it better at university and um, if you ask my husband he says I have an opinion on everything so um... I think I, I, you know, it just grates me sometimes when I see the news on TV and they don't really ask those investigative journalism questions, questions, and they don't get to the bottom of the story or, you know, this fake news that now happens around the world. Um, it just frustrates me that we don't get um, accurate, you know, unbiased reporting sometimes. So I wanted to sort of be the voice of reason, and, and I love talkback radio. I love listening to people's opinions and, um, you know, hearing what they say and. Um, yeah, it was just a, an industry that really um, excited me. But at the same time, you felt like you were always learning because you were, as a journalist, interviewing people about subjects you didn't know anything about. Um, and of course, I moved to Meriden, which is the heart of the wheat belt, and um, didn't know what canola was and didn't know barley was in beer and all these sort of things. So I met so many amazing people and just learned so much by being in a completely different world. It, it probably opened my eyes to the fact that I didn't know everything. And being an 18, 19-year-old, sometimes we think we know everything. Um, And it it sort of helped me to understand, you know, you need to grow up sometimes when you're an adult and meeting all those incredible sort of farmers out in the wheat belt, they're really down to earth, you know, the salt of the earth type people and um, so supported by their family to run such big enterprises out there. So um, it was something that I was really excited about. And then, of course, Susanna Carr, she's been on Channel 7 for like 100 years now. So I thought she's never going to leave. So um, that's where I ended up going into working for the government and um, helping these towns that I've met so many people in get federal government funding. Um, and I think our region in the wheat belt was the highest um, federally government-funded area um, in the, the eight, ten years that I was working in that job because... We had so many great um, ideas and so many great projects from the innovative people that lived out there that were evaluating and looking at new tourism products and um, manufacturing and doing all these things. They just needed that seed couple to get it all started.
0: That's uh, that's impressive, pretty good. So, uh, look, I know that uh, I know that you're, you know, we, we 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 speaking with you. So I have that perception that you are you are very accomplished you look to be you seem to be proud of your journey you seem to be to know what you're doing. so you pass that sort of positivity about you know how you go about life. but I reckon that to be in this position there were there were times of you know uh, challenges or times of uncertainties. So for, for those people that are going through that sort of uncertainty and challenges so you do you, you have a story to, to share that, you know, as a, uh, that sort of situation where you were not sure how you came about to, to, to go through it?
1: Yeah, um, I actually did a couple of leadership courses too. Um, one was a national program and we ended up going to New Zealand and met a lot of people and one was a state program. And I remember um, we all had to talk to some school kids and try and explain to them why, you know, we what we wanted to achieve with our lives and we, we were only, you know, 19, 20, 21 ourselves. Um, and I remember thinking, you know, when I die, I wanted my headstone to say, well, at least I made a difference. I, you know, gave more than I took or, or something like that. Mm. Um, and, and that's what we were trying to do at the JD too when we went into COVID. You know, yes, we were getting paid job keeper, but we wanted to give more than we took. Um, And I think that that was really important, but it has been really tough, you know, the the first couple of weeks before we knew what was happening with JobKeeper, I felt like I was the mother of 54 children who were all going to not be able to pay their bills and put food on the table. Um, And it's really stressful. I remember sitting in the shower on the floor bawling my eyes out because I was like, how am I going to help all these people Um, who, who will become friends? I mean, we're at work, you know, 40 hours a week. It's sometimes more awake time than we are with our own families. Mm. Um, we had people that were pregnant. We had people that had just got mortgages. Um, we had people that lived week to week. And I was really worried for how they were all going to survive. So um, that was really stressful. And we did have a lot of support from our EAP counsellor and our board um, who gave us um, each a $750 grocery vouch, which was about $34,000 in total before we knew what was happening with JobKeeper. Just so mm. that we, people could put food on the table. But I remember thinking, um, okay, I've got to keep thinking positively, which is really hard because you do sort of get in this negative spiral with COVID. Because there's no light at the end of the tunnel. There's always a bloody problem with vaccinations or borders or something or change and lockdowns. That's right. Um, and I just kept trying to, you know, things would come into my head, and I just had to push them out. It was really like a manual: stop thinking about it, move on to something you can do because it's out of your control. And you know, there's that definition of insanity: if you keep doing the same thing over and over again. Um, you, you go insane so i had to just keep thinking okay i can't fix that it's out of my control let it go and move on to something else um yeah, yeah. But i know you know there's a lot of my friends um in particular those that are in private sector businesses they've got second mortgages on their houses and they can't sell their business because it isn't worth anything so um what do you do you know some of them have gone and got second and third jobs um they're really, really struggling because there is no mm. job keeping anymore. There's no clients. Um, mm. One of my friends has just cancelled $400,000 worth of bookings from the Eastern States um, over the next few months because they're just not confident that they're going to come. And she was using that money to pay the bills. So um, it is really hard when money is the thing that you can't um, do anything because you just don't have the money and you've already mortgaged everything to help.
0: Yeah. So... Uh... Yes, I, I do remember the beginning of the you know as March last year when, when we didn't know too much, and we didn't know too much and we said, Oh no, what's gonna happen? So I like I like what you're saying about among all those uncertainties and and you know and not knowing what you don't know. So it's actually hooking to some hope and finding the hope in, in, in the little signs and and keep working hard, uh, you know, with that sort of passion.
1: So yeah, I think- there have been times though, Wilson, I had a, a massive meltdown at a meeting in Perth with um, some really important people and um, everyone was sort of talking about if they could only just get more stuff, they could make more money um, and our situation is the complete opposite um, and, you know, at some stages your bucket's just so full that the little tiny things like that that can just tip you over the edge um, and you end mm-hmm. up looking back and thinking I probably shouldn't have said what I said but... Um, you know, we've been eighteen months of this, and it's on your your
0: brain all the time. Uh, thanks, thanks for sharing that. It's actually uh, it actually confronts me because I'm I'm one of the ones that are uh, one of those that actually have been very fortunate through COVID because you know what we do can be done remotely, and and we heavily rely on on the mining industry, which you know they're not too bad. They they you know, they, they they having a crack during this period. So uh, he, 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 thanks for sharing because it makes me realize more and more how fortunate and grateful uh, we, we must be and, and, and how we give back in that sense. So thank you for that. So, Lisa, we have been talking for more than 30 minutes. Uh,
1: I'm a good uh, talker. <laughs>
0: Every every time that you know we have interviews and the change in the game, so I've, I I say the same thing. I finished it, you know. I get to the thirty minutes uh, 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 and wanting to know so much more. So the my
1: and do a tour.
0: Yeah, yeah. So I'll definitely go for sure. That that's. We one. were
1: looking for a merman last year who could swim outside the windows with a mermaid tail on, so a merman tail. So maybe you have to come and practice that. Because then you're an Iron
0: Man. Hey, okay, Iron Man. is that yeah. a challenge? <laughs> yeah. uh, very good. So I'll, I'll have a crack at that. So uh, look, I'm, I'm so grateful for you to you know to give us your time and your experience and share your your stories with us. So there are lots in what you said that you know will will help people to uh, to relate to and and then to find. And to find the strengths, to find the, you know, the ideas to to, uh, to keep going, to change their games. So thank you very much, Lisa.
1: Thank you for having me, Wilson, and, and letting me talk about it, because sometimes it's good just to reflect while you're talking and think, you know, we have tried really hard and then we've left no stone unturned and um, we are healthy and, you know, most of us are happy. So, um, you know, we, we've got to think we are so lucky to be in Australia. Um, if we can get everyone vaccinated quickly, um, that would make things a lot easier.
0: Yeah. Thank you. And everyone, Lisa, I hope you enjoy And until uh, the next Change in the Game episode. Thank
1: you.